0: We, uh, I, I, I had this conviction, and I named it last week in our message. But, and I want you to hear me say this: I believe that every single one of us, one of the primary things that each of us need in life, I don't, whether on a, on a on a weekly basis, if you need it on an hourly basis, depending on what's going on in your life, but we have a probably we have a primary need as human beings, and of having a a a revelation. Of who God is, and not talking about a revelation. I don't, don't get all weird on like revelation. I'm thinking like something simply mean a, a revealing of God. A revealing of who God is, that there's just this moment over here where I'm walking this direction. All of a sudden, it's like a snap of the fingers, almost like a a moment, and something is revealed to me about who God is. And you all understand revelation and and the revealing, right? That you're walking through life, and all of a sudden, it's like the the light goes off. There's like a snap of the fingers, and all of a sudden, from not understanding something to having this clarity about something outside of yourself, you're like, oh my gosh, right? And that revealing, it's like there's just like this intimate knowledge that something... Something you didn't know. Like when I was, I'll never forget. I think I've shared it before, but when I was about, I don't know how old you want to do fractions, but I'll never forget. I was Christmas, right? We were literally, literally, we were we were opening up our, our Christmas decorations. We were decorating our tree in December. And whatever grade I was in doing fractions, we were doing fractions. And I'll never forget. We were literally doing fractions on the brown boxes that held our Christmas ornaments. and I'll never forget. You know, literally, when I was like uh, you know, probably 20 years old, going home, putting ornaments on the tree. I remember pulling these boxes out and seeing when my mom was teaching me fractions. I just had a hard time grasping those, right? I mean, I'm really smart and all, but I had a really hard time getting fractions. And so, I'll never forget, all of a sudden, I remember that, that night, my mom says, you know, if you take a half and you cut a half in half, you have a quarter. And I remember she did it and all of a sudden went, I get it. And that's sort of like writing the box myself where I couldn't read my own handwriting, right? But I mean, it was like I got the numbers. It was like it was, a, it was a moment of revelation, right? It was a moment of revealing. I went from not understanding something that was frustrating me to all of a sudden having revelation revealing. I'm like, oh, I get it, right? And when we like dance the dance of joy in our living room, right? It was just a, a great moment. And I believe so many of us would be empowered in so many areas of our life. We simply had a revelation, a revealing about who God actually is apart from our understanding. If we had this revealing, a revelation moment of who he is. Last week, that's what we talked about. We said, hey, listen, we need to have a revelation about God's goodness. Remember we said that God's goodness is a summation of all of his character traits, of all of his attributes, right? If you take every single one of his attributes, his omniscience, his omnipotence, right? His his, his love and his compassion, and his, we put all of those together, what do you get? You get his goodness. And we said if we had a, and that, and that we need a revelation of that. That's what we said. Listen, we need a revelation of God's goodness. That's what happened to Asaph. Remember, in Psalm 72, he said in the first 14 verses of Psalm 72. He is wrestling. Asaph is wrestling with one thing. He's wrestling with God's goodness. He literally is like, listen, I'm a good guy. This is what he says. I'm a good guy and I do all the right things. And I don't seem, I don't have the blessings that these who are evil over here have. He's wrestling, why are good things happening to bad people? And why are bad things, quote, unquote, happening to me? Because I'm a good guy. And he's literally wrestling with it. He, he says, I was, a, I was a brute beast before God, which literally meant he was just so angry, there was a boiling up inside of him, and he couldn't even think straight. He was wrestling with God's goodness. He was frustrated with God. There was this... Tension in his life because he's doing all the right things. He's a, he's literally a Levite. He is a priest before God, the chief priest. He has been, he is a, he is writing all the music to the songs of, the Psalms of David. He's living in this tension of his life, wrestling with God's goodness. And we said, then what happened? He had revelation. We see it in verse, verse 16. He says, all of this was oppressive to me. Until I entered the sanctuary of the Lord, then I had revelation. Then, at that moment, I had understanding. He's wrestling in the moment, wrestling with God's goodness, wrestling with this great tension until he says all of this was just weighed me down to the point I couldn't function until I went into the presence of God and I had a revealing moment. I had a revelation. I had understanding. God peeled back the understanding. I understood fractions all of a sudden and I danced the dance of joy there in the temple of God. He had a revelation. He had a moment of revealing. God peeling things back and all of a sudden, Asaph had understanding. He had revelation. And last week, I said that's what we needed. Each of us, we needed to have our own revelation. We need to have our own knowledge of God's goodness. This place in life where we come from our tension and say, Oh God, I need revealing. And all of a sudden, God brings revelation. The reason is simple. If we don't, have our revelation. If we don't have this this intimate knowledge of who God actually is then we will live we will live oppressed. We will live way down with questions regarding life just like Asaph. We will wrestle with tension of things going on. Why are these things happening, right? Things like, We don't ask the questions when things are going well. Why? Because it's, things are going well. We have no tension. But when all of a sudden things begin to, to turn and to shift and bad things begin to happen or frustrated things begin to happen these things that we begin to question God's goodness because God's not doing the things that we would define as being good for our own life and we live in the tension, right? And all of a sudden if we don't have a revelation of God in those moments, then just like Asaph, we will struggle. We will be oppressed. We will be weighed down in our own lives and we will be in need of this revelation. We will be just like Asaph saying, all of this, all of this is oppressive to me and it will cripple us. Throughout history, throughout history. Those who've made the greatest difference for Christ, the ones who have had the biggest ripple effect on the earth in which we live, are those who've had this revelation moment, right? A revelation moment of who God is, of who Jesus is. And it changes the rest of their lives, right? Moses and the burning bush and shifted him forever. Paul, remember on the road to Damascus and God literally comes and knocks him off his donkey and blinds him and says, I I am Jesus, whom you've been persecuting. Right? We have the disciples. Literally, they have all these moments of revelation with Jesus, but primarily the revelation that, that changed their life was the revelation was the revelation of Jesus's resurrection. Remember the resurrection of Jesus, and all of a sudden the disciples shift, and they had the next unbelievable revelation moment of the of the Holy Spirit coming in Acts. And they were empowered and they went and proclaimed the name of Jesus boldly. A revealing of Jesus, a revealing of Jesus in his fullness, and a revealing of the Holy Spirit and his power in their lives. Right? A massive, massive revelation. We see it even in the in the in the lives of those and maybe a little bit later in Charles Finney. This great revivalist who lived in New York in the 1800s, who, who literally shaped the, the entire, this, this second great awakening was basically birthed out of him. And if you don't know his story, basically was, he was an atheist leading worship in his church and saying, I don't want to be a Christian because prayers are never answered when you pray. That's his testimony. I went to church, and they had prayer meetings, and God never answered. Now, quite, I said, can their God really be real? And so one day, in this great tension, he went literally, he goes off into the woods by himself. He crawls into a hole under a big tree and says, if you were really God, then reveal yourself to me. And it's all of a sudden, like liquid love, God was poured out onto my head to the point I had to ask him to stop because it was too much. God revealed Himself to him. We know John Wesley, the great founder of Methodism and ultimately the founder of every charismatic church going on in the world today, birthed out of John Wesley. He, he had his, he was literally serving Jesus in St. Simon's and completely failed among the Indians, right? Or the Native Americans. And he, he got back on a bus, got around some Moravians who were authentic in their faith, and all of a sudden he's beginning to question himself, and he goes and he has this moment which they call the Alders experience where he says, my heart was strangely warmed, right? We would call that this this in, this infilling of the Holy Spirit is what he had in the moment, right? And he was literally changed forever and empowered for ministry. Why? Because he had a revealing of God's presence in his life. If you were a John Calvin fan, in 1532, he's living life in tension, living life and this this struggle of life. And in 1532, he had this revelation of the goodness of God. He had this revelation of who Jesus was, and all of a sudden, everything in his His life shifted, and he served him forever. It was a massive moment of his life. When I was 14 years old, I'm sitting in Shaco Springs, Alabama, at a family camp, and God reveals himself to our entire church who's sitting there in this family camp that we're doing, and I experienced God such a way that I, when I got in my car, driving home as a 14-year-old kid, I look out the window and I see these cows in a pasture, and, I just, and I'm undone by just what God's been doing. I just pray and say, God, I've experienced you in such a way. You've revealed yourself to me in such a powerful way. I can never be the same again. I will serve you for the rest of my life. True story. Led led this guy named Rio to Christ the next night. I'm undone by God's goodness. A 14 year old. It was a revealing of God's presence, and I tell you, when there's a revealing, it shifts everything. When there's this moment of revelation, that everything shifts and everything changes. I want to say to you, listen, you can have some grandiose experience or you can just simply have that moment of knowledge where there's really no emotion involved at all. But it's just this like shift, this conviction. I tell you the great stories. I could tell you other stories of people just like you and me who don't have some massive experience with God. It's just something shifts inside of them. They just know that they know and they then serve God and everything shifts. When there's a revelation, everything shifts. We need a revealing of who God is. Because when we know him in his fullness, just like Asaph, it changes everything in our lives. Now, one thing, kind of shifting gears here, one thing that I know that we can all agree on this morning is this. Every single one of us hate being misrepresented. Has that ever happened to you? Someone says something about you that's just not true, and someone else believes that, right? Or someone comes up to you and says something about you. You're like, that's just not true. And they'll forget, you know, when we moved to our, to our neighborhood, about a year into being there, we were hanging out with some friends, and this, and she, and, and this person looked at Randall and, and, and said to her, you know, when I first met you, I didn't like you because I thought you were snobby and stuck up, Right? And and Randall and I went, and we just kind of looked at one another and said, "Okay." She's like, "But now that I know you, I think you're awesome." And so I said back to her, I said. I said, well, why exactly did did you think that? Just was wondering, right? Why do you think that? She said, well, I'll never forget the first thing we had. Randall came up and she had these really cool shoes on, this really nice outfit, and her hair was all done. And I thought, she's got to be snobby and stuck up. And so for like six months, right? And I just looked at her, and I looked at her and said, that is the most shallow thing I've ever heard in my entire life, right? But she said, well, now that I know her, I know she's not stuck up in snobby at all. She's fantastic, right? But I was sitting there in the moment thinking to myself, oh, my gosh. Basically for months, and I I was sitting there thinking, "My gosh, what do you think about me, right? Because I look real good too, right?" No, seriously, I was like, "Man, what's going on in the moment?" Because I'm sitting there thinking for months. This person had a completely skewed and off-center view of who my wife was. And to be honest, I was glad she thought Randall was great now, but I was offended for her for all of these months that she had no knowledge of Randall, but had this idea of who she was completely 100% misrepresenting who my wife is. Have you ever misrepresented somebody? Because I sat there in the moment, right, and I couldn't help but think about how many times in my own life and how many times in other people's lives that I knew that we had made snap judgments about people or situations without ever having a personal knowledge that educates those judgments and in doing so literally hindered relationship. Have you ever done that? Have you ever looked at a person and read their book by their cover? You knew them immediately by what they looked like or how they responded the first time that you met them. I remember talking to them and saying, well, I thought that person was stuck up, but I just realized later they were introverted. They were scared of talking to me, but I took them as being really stuck up and arrogant, right? I'm thinking, my gosh, right? We make snap judgments all the time. Every single one of us. You know you do it, right? And we then misrepresent that person because we have no actual intimate personal knowledge of them that would actually educate us to give an understanding of who they are. And I sat there and thought to myself about that, thinking, my gosh, how many times do we do that with God? How many things do we think about God that in reality are not true about him. We have an idea or conviction that we believe about him for whatever reason, and it just isn't true. I'll never forget, Randall and I were sitting at Cecil's Cafe on 51st Street in Omaha, Nebraska, right? Cecil's Cafe was just like one of those grease pit places. You don't want to go back in the back and see how they prepare food, right? You just want to eat it, right? Because you just know it's nasty and dirty. And so we're sitting there one day, and we're, we had just finished eating. We're getting ready to pay, and, and, and Bishop walks in. Now, Bishop is this blind 80-year-old man who sells brooms. He lived on 10th Street, okay? And we knew Bishop. I'd been, he was, That was his nickname because, you know, he had, he had grown up in the church. I think he preached in the church when he was younger, but now he would, he would go to these meetings, but he really had nothing to do there. He just wanted to show up because he was the bishop and everybody knew it, right? It wasn't really a bishop, okay? And, and so, anyway, we, we're sitting there and we're like, and he walks in and, I mean, he's blind. He's like literally coming and knocking everything over, selling his brooms, right? I and mean, he's a great guy. We t- talked to him before. And so he comes in. They're nice. They buy a broom from him. They're terrible brooms, by the way, right? So he's selling a broom to him. And, and uh, we get, i like, hey. And so we're like, what we should do? And he's like, he literally goes back out and is walking down Dodge Street, which is main thoroughfare in Omaha. We're like, this is dangerous, right? So we're like, let's go see if he needs a ride. So we walk up to him and say, hey, Bishop. It's Steve and Randall. We met you a couple weeks ago at this conference thing. He's like, oh, yeah, how are you? I'm like, good. And we're like, hey, do you need a ride somewhere? He's like, yeah, yeah, I think give me a ride home. That'd be great. So, so, I, so Randall stands with him. I walk around and get the car, and, and we drive down. Now, he lives on 10th Street, 151st Street. It's a long ride, right? So the entire time we're driving, no lie, he does this. Oh, you're passing 34th Street right now. I look up 34th Street, right? He lived there so long. He goes, oh, yeah, you're passing so-and-so's place. I know them. I look up oh, by it. Sure enough, there it is right there, right? And he's like this with his eyes. Of, he has no idea what we're doing, right? He's just driving in the car and blind. And, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm undone. So he starts so I start I say, well, how do you the name Bishop? So he starts going on this long conversation about, about church and about Jesus and, you know, and, and, and how he loves Jesus. And, and I forget the context, but all of a sudden, I not never forget, he said, well, you know what the good book says? God helps those who help themselves. I looked at Randall and said, the Bible right? The Bible doesn't say the good book helps those who help themselves, right? But somewhere along in Bishop's life, he had bought into this, or someone had told him, he never really decided to figure it out himself, the Bible doesn't say the good book helps those who help themselves, right? That's a pure essence of selfishness, and God's like, not a really, he's kind of opposed to that, right? But I was too, we felt I was like, I can't say that back to him, right? But this whole idea for all of his life as an 80-year-old blind man sitting there going around probably preaching in churches, that the good book teaches that God helps those who help themselves? A misrepresentation of who God is. I'll never forget when I was in high school, this guy named Frank had just lived, given his life to Christ, and, and he comes up to my buddy Eric and I, and <clears throat> we're at this actually Bible study thing, and he and he says, Man, it's so hard being a Christian. And we're like, Why? He says, Man, because I just have to I, I gotta stop looking at girls the way that I used to look at them. My buddy goes, Eric, let's never forget, he's kind of doesn't skip it. But he says, Well, you know what the Bible says? You can look, but you can't touch. She goes, where is that found? In fourth John. And I look at Frank and go, Frank, that Bible does not say that, bro. He's like, oh, no. You know, anyway, there's this whole thing that people misrepresent. Fourth John is not in the Bible. Can't. Anyway. So there's this whole dynamic going on, right? That is all the time in our lives. What do we do? We come and the things we've been taught over our life, we misrepresent Who God is all the time. And so what we then have is a false, incomplete knowledge about who he is. But yet we live our life in this misrepresentation never fully knowing him. So what we have then is a staff in this moment, God has been misrepresented to, and he's sitting in this moment not understanding God's goodness. He's wrestling in this tension of the moment saying, I thought, snob- I, I thought you were snobby and stuck up until I got to know you, right? I thought you were not good until all of a sudden I had a revelation moment of you. All of a sudden you represented yourself and you revealed yourself to me, and now I have a complete and full understanding about who God is. See, the simple truth is this. You can't have knowledge of someone unless you spend time with them. You can't know what someone thinks unless you ask them questions and you listen. You can't learn about someone unless you put forth energy to study them. Revelation is a result of our investment in, Into relationship. A revealing of truth is simply a result of our investment into relationship. Asaph had a revelation because he stopped complaining, he stopped whining, and he stopped focusing on self. He stopped looking for the truth from outside sources, and he actually engaged God in the sanctuary. He stopped this path of whatever it was and turned and said, I'm going to enter into the sanctuary. I'm going to connect with God and I'm going to ask him what he thinks. I'm going to engage him in his presence. And he learned God's thoughts. And in turn, changed him forever by engaging him in God, revealing himself to him. God represented himself. You see, God is good. Good. God is good. Do you know it? Do you know it? Have you has the truth of God been revealed to you? Or do you find yourself struggling believe, believing it, especially when something happens that you don't agree that is good? Do you wrestle with this? If we don't live in the revelation of God's goodness, we will struggle much like Asaph with the way God moves and specifically in his timing of when he moves. If we don't have a revelation, we don't have a personal, intimate knowledge. We don't give ourselves to knowing God personally rather than what I'm telling you about him. Listen, everything I tell you could be just like Bishop and not be true. True. Do you just trust me? If you do, that's foolish. And it's the pure definition of stupidity. You should never just take me at my word. Especially when I'm teaching. You should say, God, Steve said this. Is it true? You should try to figure it and learn for yourself and allow God to reveal truth to you outside of what I'm saying. If your answer to someone is, well, my pastor says, then you've missed the point we need revelation of what God thinks and of what he bel- what he believes and allow him to represent himself which brings us this morning to an attribute I want us to focus on the one that I believe ultimately kind of gives us this safe place to stand within God and that place that attribute is the attribute is faithfulness Faithfulness, God as being a faithful God. Now, God's faithfulness means that God will always do what he has said and he will fulfill what he has promised. Faithfulness means God always doing what he has said and God always fulfilling what he has promised. Psalm 145. Verse 13 says this Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. In your dominion, it endures through all generations. So the psalmist is coming and saying, God, you have no beginning and no end. You are Lord and King of all generations, right? In your dominion, your lordship, it lasts forever. And he goes on and says, In that context, the Lord is faithful to all his promises. And the Lord is loving toward all that he has made. So in his dominion, the Lord is faithful in all of his promises, that he will always do what he promises, and the Lord is faithful to love towards everyone that he's made and everything that he's made. The Lord is faithful. I would say this this morning. I want you to hear me clearly, that you can never overstate. You can never overstate the perfect nature of God's character and his attributes. You can never overstate his goodness and his faithfulness. You can never talk about it being too big. You can never overstate any parts of his character and any one of his attributes. That in and of himself, that in and of himself as God, every character trait, it is complete, And it's perfect and he can never act in a way opposed to it. God can never love you more than he loves you because his love is complete and perfect for you forever. His omniscience, his all-knowingness, it's perfect and complete from beginning to end. There's nothing imperfect about it. His knowledge is perfect. So what we can say is this, there are lots of things that God then cannot do. There are an unbelievable number of things that God can't do. God can never sin. Why? Because His perfect nature, His completeness of who He is, is perfection. How can something that is infinitely and perfectly perfect sin? He can't, right? He can never be untrusting. For he is trustworthy. He can never, you you can never say, I'm not sure I can trust God. He's not like the Greek gods, right? Who on a whim would change, right? No, he is trustworthy at all times. He can never be confused. He can never be confused because he is omniscient, knowing all things at all times. He can, listen, he can never be anxious because he is perfectly patient at every moment of of time throughout eternity for his dominion endures forever. Therefore he can never be unfaithful because he is perfectly faithful. To think of God being unfaithful is to speak in untruth about who he is. Because he is perfect in all of his attributes, and he in and of himself is complete in them. So therefore, if he is faithful, then he will forever be faithful. He can be nothing other than faithful to all of humanity. Numbers 2319. This is a prophetic statement from Balaam, the prophet. He says this, God is not a man. What a great statement. Praise Jesus. God is not a man. That he should lie. Nor a son of man. That he should change his mind. Does he speak. And then not act. Does he promise. And not fulfill. Are you crazy. That's, what, that's the. Are you crazy? There's no way that God would speak and then not do it. There's no way that He would promise and not fulfill. Are you crazy? He's not like man. That's the idea. That's the language behind it, right? He is perfect in all that He does. He's perfectly faithful. He will, he will do what He says, and He'll be faithful to everything that He promises. He's God. He's not like man. God is unchanging. And His unchanging presupposes his faithfulness. Basically, because he never changes, then his faithfulness towards us, it can never change. Simply put, if God is faithful, then he must always be faithful. It is unchanging. And if he is unchanging, it follows that he could not be unfaithful since that would require him to change. So, as human beings, we are not like God. We change all the time. Meaning that in our lives, we can be unfaithful. Human beings can be unfaithful out of desire, out of fear, out of weakness or a loss of interest because of some strong influence outside of themselves. Now, this, this past week, I, I, I was um, on Wednesday night, I drive, into, I drive into my neighborhood and I get a phone call from my neighbor Steve, there is some boy with a Nerf gun. Mr. Simmons, named Zach Simmons, who has me in Nerf Wars. Now, if you don't know, Vintage is at war we are in the middle of a nerf war right now with all of our youth and some of our college students and our staff and and whatever right some people right we're in the middle of nerf wars like an assassin game i have a name and i gotta shoot them and they have a name they're gonna shoot somebody right i'm supposed to be shooting andrew fortier right now right i have his name i have i have camped outside of his house for hours right dressed in black waiting to kill him right i'm just kidding i haven't done that right but i'm going to i'm going to kill him right and so we're in the middle of nerf wars right now Let me tell you this, people in nerf wars they have formed these alliances right they form these alliances. And let me tell you how long they will stay in alliance, as long as it keeps them from being killed. But the moment that it becomes dangerous to them, guess what they do? They become unfaithful. They are 100% faithful in their commitment right, to their ally as long as it keeps them alive. But the moment it becomes dangerous to them, they become unfaithful and step out, right? And how many of us, we know people who treat their marriages the exact same way? How many of us in our context of life, we wrestle with unfaithfulness because this does not suit us in the moment. As human beings, we understand what it looks like to be unfaithful. We understand as human beings this context when the going gets tough, man, we're out of here. We live in this place of humanity completely understanding this unfaithfulness. But God, listen, God is not influenced by any of these things. God is not influenced by anything outside of himself. A.W. Tozer says this, He cannot be compelled from without, but ever speaks and ever acts from within himself by his own sovereign will as it pleases him. I mean, this is way stuff right in his perfect knowledge and in his perfection. Right. As being as being omniscient and knowing all things from beginning to end. And we define our lives by our by our finite 70 years. He says, Listen, I understand life a whole lot better than you do in my omniscience. And therefore, I am not compelled by these things outside like human beings are. I'm only compelled by my perfect and sovereign and all-powerful will, right? Yes, I love, and yes, I listen, and yes, I'm I'm compelled in relationship to walk with you and to be with you. But as it relates to my will, I am not changed by anything outside of myself because my knowledge is perfect, My knowledge is perfect. And so he stands in and of himself to say "I am." he is never confused, right? He is never confused. He's never at odds with his emotions. He never ponders right decisions. And he never struggles with direction to go in life. He is never overwhelmed. And he is never at a loss. For us as human beings, and specifically for those in relationship with the Creator, Savior, God, God's faithfulness then becomes a rock that we can stand on. It becomes a place of stability, a place that we can rest. Listen, if we were in a relationship with a back-and-forth wishy-washy God who was not living in omniscience, was living incomplete in his knowledge, who was living imperfect, who could be swayed by what people say and do like the Greek gods, then what we've done is we've created a God in our own image. And we create a God who we can't rely on because we're just not sure what He's going to do. But He's resolute in and of Himself, right? He is complete in Himself. And His knowledge is perfect and complete. Therefore, when we come to Him, we come with rest and stability. Why? Because He is omniscient. He knows all things. And what that does is it creates a level of rest. Because I don't know about you, but I love being in relationship with the person who is most knowledgeable and is imperfect in their knowledge and the most powerful person in the world. I'm like, do you know who I'm friends with? I just wanted you to know that. I'm I'm, I'm friends with this guy. Oh, really? Right? And you're treated better. You know what I'm talking about. The relationship with the living God, it becomes a place of rest. It becomes a place of peace for us because we're like, oh, at least we know what my life is a living mess. Right? But at least I have a God who understands it from beginning to end and everything in between. I can rest in that, unless we create God in our own image. You see, I believe that most of us, if not all of us, most of the time we create a God who's in our image, right? We, we think about God as being aloof, right? We think of God as being aloof. Why? Because every person you've been in a relationship with has been aloof somewhere along the way, right? We, we create an image of, of God as if he's being far off and distant, Right? Because most people we know somewhere along our lives, they become far from distant. We create a God who is moody. Right, He loves me and is happy with me in one minute. In the next minute, literally, from the snap of the fingers, he's frustrated with me. Right, We create a God who is moody or a God who is just plain angry, because all of our relationships, what happens, we get angry with people all the time, right? We create God in our own image, right? We see him as primarily judging and only pleased with us if we do the right thing. Why? Because that's how our parents treated us, and unfortunately, it's how we relate to our children. We're happy with them and excited. They do great things, but the moment they fail, we're like, oh, it's okay, you gave it, you tried, or whatever it may be, Right? We create this whole world, understanding relationship, you do the right thing, you get something good. And God is not that way. While you were still yet sinners, Christ gave you everything that he ever had. Creating a God in his own image, which he gets to define not our neighbors misrepresenting him to us, not some know-it-all pastor misrepresenting who God is to you, right? Because he went to seminary, right? You get to sit there and in your relationship with God, and through Scripture itself, begin to allow God to define and represent himself to you for himself, where you have an Asaph moment, where you're sitting there saying, all of life was oppressive to me until I entered into the sanctuary of the Lord, and then I had understanding because God revealed himself to me and represented himself to me on his own accord and now my life is shifted and changed forever because i have a revelation of his faithfulness and that he loves me even when i sin and i come and i repent and i begin to follow him but he still loved me even in that moment because he is he is faithful at all times and in my faithlessness he is faithful why because he has to be because it's who he is he can be nothing other than perfect in his will towards me of being faithful Do you know him? Or do you live with the moody God who only is happy with you when you do what you're supposed to? Does he he like sin? Of course not. But he loves us. And he is faithful even in the midst of our sin. Can we live in our sin? Of course not. Because it severs relationship. But he is faithful to us even in that moment. So, we must examine our lives. And as we examine, listen, as we examine our lives and as we acknowledge our struggles in life, we have the freedom to and we must begin to apply this truth about God's faithfulness to our lives. The tempted and the anxious, the fearful, And the discouraged may all find new hope and new joy in the knowledge that our Heavenly Father is. He is that He is. He is faithful. Because that's who He is, as one of the attributes of His life. Why? Because He must be. It's His character. It has always been, and it will always be who God is. God must be Himself. God must be himself. So, here's what I'll do this morning. Scripture is the greatest gift of self-revelation that God has ever given us. Say it again. Scripture is the greatest self-revelation that God has ever given us. And so this morning, what I want to do, what I want to do, I'm going to read a group of scriptures to you. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to focus. I want you to listen. I'm going to allow God to speak for himself through scripture. Okay? So here's what I want to hear. Just get, get comfortable, get in a good listening posture, and listen as if God is speaking through scripture to you. Psalm 86, 15. You, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God. You are slow, patient, long-suffering to anger. You are abounding in love. And you are abounding in faithfulness. Psalm 89, 1 and 2. says, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. And my mouth will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you established your faithfulness in heaven itself. Psalm one hundred five, for the Lord is good, and his love it endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Psalm one forty five thirteen. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all that he has made. First Corinthians one, chapter four through nine, Paul's testimony about God. He's speaking here to the Corinthians, saying, I'll always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in Him, you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking, and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end, so that you will be blameless On the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is faithful. Deuteronomy 31 says twice that God will never leave us nor forsake us. And then in Hebrews, the writer reminds again in chapter 13 when he says, God has said, never will I leave you, never will will I forsake you a promise for those to in a relationship with him never will god turn us back never will he leave us philippians chapter 1 verse 6 being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of christ jesus an expression of his faithfulness in relationship with us as i stood there that day As I stood there that day, I realized that these people had no idea who my wife was. They had completely misrepresented her. And now all of a sudden they knew it. Why? Because they knew her. They had come into relationship with her, and she represented herself to them, and they realized how awesome she was, and they thought that she was great. And his as assassin stood before God in the oppression of the moment, questioning God's goodness because bad things happen to good people like him and good things happen to bad people. He's sitting there going, oh, this is all oppressive to me until he entered in and had relationship with God. And then God revealed his goodness. And I believe we could say in that moment, God revealed his faithfulness. And I would say to us this morning, there's only revelation that occurs in your life. When you get to that moment, you say, God, I'm not going to allow anybody else to misrepresent you. But I want you to represent yourself to me, both through scripture and through my own life with you. God, I, all of life is oppressive to me when it gets difficult. It doesn't have to be, God, because I've heard that you were good and you were unchanging in all of your attributes and you are faithful, so I come and I rest in that say, God, I don't understand it fully. I'm asking for revelation. I'm asking for you to reveal yourself. And then I give myself to it and I allow him, I allow God to represent himself. This is God's heart for us. I believe it's the call of us that he's calling us to let me reveal myself to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.